Hi, good afternoon, everybody. It's Nikki Tudge here with PPG. It's Friday, it's three o'clock Eastern time, it's Forsbury time. And we are here with a lovely guest today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But first of all, Judy Luther, how, how are you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. We've all just yeah. been having a little bit of a bitchy <laughs> moan about what a difficult week it's been, haven't we? It's been, a, it's been yeah, one of those Yeah, but we don't weeks. know why. We don't yeah. know why it was a difficult week. It was well, I know why. Mine's been difficult. So, yeah. Customer service <laughs> issues. Yeah. But anyway, before we start talking to Dr. Christina, I just wanted to give a little bit of a recap because we've got so many live sessions coming up in the next couple of months. And I know that Pam has done a great job of listing them on as events on our PPG page. So today we've got Dr. Christina Spaulding and we're gonna be talking to Christina in just a few minutes about some of the great work that she's doing. Um, next week on June 10th, we have Michelle Garrigan, who's coming on to talk about websites and SEO and all the other really great stuff that we need to know about websites. On the 17th of June, Dr. Zazie Todd is coming to talk about her, her new book about putty cats. Um, and I have that book. I've actually read it. It's a great book, which I knew going into it because Zazie's such a great writer. Um, on the 20th, we have an event that's just being streamed for our PPG British Owls members about the Zigzag Puppy app. On the 24th, we have our monthly advocacy panel, and I'm not sure what the topic is for that. I should know. Mm. I don't remember. So I'm going to try and wing it a little bit while I'm on I here. don't remember either, Nikki. I don't remember um, either. So, so let's Christine, just, do you I, know? No. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah, the top... I'm, the top 10 things that we can do to help veterinarians right. help us. Yes, I'm actually yeah. excited. I have some thoughts on that too. So. Good, because I'm going to actually diligently take a lot of notes from that. So hopefully we can come out with a flyer or a, some kind of educational infomercial. So that is their advocacy panel is all about how we can be better prepared, how we can plan and organize our vet visit so that it enables them to be able to provide better customer service for us. So it's not about us giving them advice and knowledge about how they can better help us. It's about us being more organized and structured. And Dr. Lisa Rodosta wanted to join us for that, but wasn't able to, because I sort of threw a curveball at her and asked her last minute. But I am working with Dr. Lisa to have her come on in a couple of months and speak specifically to that. And that conversation all comes out of that debacle that I found myself in a few weeks ago at a local <laughs> vet here who removed me from his hospital very politely. Well, actually he wasn't very polite. Um, he, he removed me from his office because I was asking if perhaps the vaccinations could take place in front of me. Anyway, so we've got that going on. Um, and then what else have we got in June? I'm just going back to my, my document. Oh, and on the 28th of June at five o'clock Eastern time, I don't know if you all remember, but we did a lovely event a few weeks ago with the Ukraine Animal Rescue Group. Uh, was people just supporting their fundraiser and we're going to be getting an update from them on where they're at what's happening and how we can help them so that will be on the 28th and then just really quickly going into July I can't believe we're even in June let alone talking about <laughs> July we've got the lovely Annie Phoenix coming on to talk about reactive dogs on July 1st Barbara Hoddle, who's the PPG Australia president is coming on on July 8th to talk about teenage dogs and then we've got our advocacy panel on the 22nd. And hopefully, I'm hoping it's not yet confirmed that we'll have Dr. Lisa Rodosta coming on July 29th. So we've got some great Facebook chat and chuckles lined up for the next few Fridays, haven't we? Judy, it's going to be fun. We've got some really cool guests. But let's live in the moment. Let's not worry about the future. Let's live in the moment because we have with us the lovely Dr. Christina Spaulding. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, good. Great. great. It's always good to have you. So what are you Thank working you. on? What are you up to? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. I um, I have uh, right now, I actually, what I was just doing today was working on um, my Research Bites <clears throat> presentation for June, which is, mm -hmm. it's June now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I can never quite keep up with the month. Um. I, that one's a little bit different than what I'm, I normally do because that one's on uh, some laboratory research on stress that is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And in prepping for that, I was sort of reminded of some of the information about the impacts of stress on the body, which I think is really relevant to the work we do, as well as yeah. talking about... Um, Are you talking about from our perspective or the dogs on there? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, all of it, really. I mean, it's all the same. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on an emotion course that I'll be teaching in July. Is that the one with Irid? No. So, so I have, yeah, there's two things in July. So Mm -hmm. I'm teaching an emotion course through Science Matters. And then Irit and I are teaching a weekend long uh, seminar. It's online. So maybe it's an extended webinar, but um, yeah. Yeah. And that is on, it's called the power of choice. And so what we do for that is I come in and I talk about all the geeky science stuff. And then, I mean, it's not exactly split up, you know, that way but mostly i'm talking about the geeky science stuff and then irit is going in and mostly talking about the the applications and and how we can use this to work with our animals to improve well-being and address behavior issues and things like that so this is actually the third time we're doing this one Mm, she's lovely isn't she yes whenever i chat to her yeah Yeah, she's great to work with and she has a lot of good information so I tell this story all the time about her. I hope it doesn't embarrass her, but at a PPG summit a few years ago, my, I'd asked my husband, I'd mistakenly asked my husband to take some video, <laughs> which meant that he was allowed out in public, which is always which is thing. <laughs> with his camera. <laughs> with a camera. Yeah. And uh, and he was like milling around the ballroom on the, the final dinner. And he was asking people, so are you here with the bride or the groom? And people were just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because um, everyone was all togged up so yeah. and I just just happened to be there and Irit walked in the room and he walked over and he goes so are you with the bride and the groom and she goes I'm with the bride I've known the bride for years let me tell you a little bit about the bride and she went <laughs> on for like five minutes it was absolutely hysteric so just, she just went with the flow and just went into this diatribe about the sort of thing that you would expect somebody to talk about at a wedding and my husband was laughing he's like yeah Right. So whenever I see her face, I always flash back to that. I wonder if she remembers that warm feeling about her because I I just always link back to that experience that I just was found so amusing. (laughs) Yeah. So now, whenever I think about her, that's the context of how I think about her. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she is. Um, are you going to take on uh, the task? I know other people have done it. Um, to sort of help assimilate, get that education out about the recent research project that was done through the IABC, the NOAA's project. Yes, I know there's been so much misinformation, and and, yes. and I'll, in full transparency, I have not read that yet. I have not. Have you read it, Judy? A part of it. Part of it. Okay. I got a little frustrated and had to put it to the side. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> I actually already did a webinar on that. Um, I do uh, sort of a, a bonus webinar right. every quarter for Research yeah. Bites. And so we did, I, I, I dropped what I was going to do <laughs> and yeah. very quickly read that paper and uh, spoke on that instead. So You should do that for PPG because there are so many of our I members. Could. I see so many of our members make, asking comments because yeah. I know, and I know that, I, I say I know, I don't know because I, I'm, I'm not in the know. I wasn't, I can't say factually, but I, I, I have, I, from what I see, from what's out there, I see frustrations on both sides. Frustration from those that facilitated it and published it, because mm-hmm. people are reading the sort of intros and the summaries that are being yep. done through multiple different outlets. And then I see frustration from other folks that have read it. I don't know if they understand it or not. Again, I haven't read it because right. maybe it doesn't say what they wanted to say or what they believe it should say. Yeah. And, and it does sort of make me chuckle because I did see one person say, but anecdotally, I know that's not correct. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, um, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, anecdotally, I think a lot of things aren't correct, but that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm talking BS. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, um, one thing that I can say about that study is that, you know, this 9% number was put out there that breed, uh, it sort of explains 9% of the variability in behavior. And people think of that as being a really small number. Right. But in behavior science, 9% is not small. It's, I mean, it's not huge, but it's not unusually small. We think of 9% as, well, that's not very big. But if you think about all of the things that contribute to behavior, to have any single thing explain 9%, it's fairly 
big. I, I mean, yeah. again, I shouldn't say big, but that would be considered probably in most cases like a moderate effect size. So yeah. um, it's not, well, my dog just came in. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not as small. It, and they do say in the paper that it's relatively small, but I think what they're referring to is that compared to how much genetics is responsible for the physical traits, mm-hmm. the impact yeah. of um, breed on behavior is relatively small compared to yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because I learned years ago, actually with James O'Hara when I did a couple of his diploma programs. And, and, and I remember at the time sort of going, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm talking 15, 16, 17 years ago, that there's, there can be as much variability interbreed as intra. I mean, people often assume that if you buy a golden, <laughs> that you're going to be guaranteed that it comes along with a certain set of characteristics. And that's just not accurate, is it? Right, yeah. And again, it some of that is because the environment plays a role. Mm-hmm. But even when you think about genetics, right? If you're thinking about, if you're looking at just the parents, yeah. Then the you know, the the heritability of behavior from mom and dad to direct offspring mm-hmm. is, is going to be relatively higher. But if you're looking yeah. at breed, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. variability even within a breed. I mean, maybe not if we're talking about really, really small breed, you know, small yeah. rare breeds. But yeah. and you just think like the difference between a golden retriever that's bred in a puppy mill versus a golden retriever that's bred mm. for guide dog work versus a golden retriever that's bred for a confirmation, you know, like. Those are all very different dogs. Right. Well, well right. Here's, what, here's where it really struck home to me. Back in 2004, when I owned a boarding kennel many years ago, the very first facility that we owned, and somebody brought a Labrador Retriever to board. And I say it was a boarding facility. I'm not talking traditional boarding. I'm talking like slumber party type boarding, lived right. on a farm. Um, it, it was like having a border collie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I could not believe the drive of this dog and the fact that you it would literally kill itself retrieving balls. And even when you put it to bed, it still bounced. It just went on and on and on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then Rachel Williams is one of our dogsmiths. She when she first got Chloe, Chloe and she explained to me that they got them from a hunting dog breeder and that it was a very high drive Labrador. And mm-hmm. I, I remember at the time thinking, my goodness, if a normal family got this dog, they wouldn't right. know what to do with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Both because, of you know, my because, dogs. Because honestly, I mean, most labs are sort of a bit goober, aren't they? They're sort of a bit silly. <laughs> <Right. and, laughs> you yeah. know, I mean. But both of my dogs read the breed books for their breeds, so they're pretty. My, yeah, mine my didn't dog, well, mine didn't. Yeah. No, mine yeah. did. I, uh, the mine the didn't. two I have right yeah. now did. But yeah. I, I have an Australian Shepherd and probably a Beagle Mick. Yeah. I never had them tested. But, um, and, uh, but the Australian Shepherd I I had before, we used to, you know, he went just about everywhere with us and people would come up on the street and they said, oh my God, this dog is so amazing. What kind of dog is this? We want one. And we were like, no, no, you're no. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't. Normal Australian Shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. He was yeah just- I have an Australian Shepherd that left to her own devices with pretty much down the couch all day. Yeah, my border collie is the same yeah. way. But you put a sheep in front of her, or you put put her in front of a sheep or a cow, and yeah. bam, she turns on. Yeah. But I can take her on a walk, and squirrels can run. Squirrels can jump off her back, mm-hmm. and she's like, "What was that?" You know, it's yeah. just kind of. And yeah. she sleeps all day. Yeah. So yeah. No, I, I have an Aussie, and I remember the first day I brought her home at like nine weeks. I went to take her out, and we had twenty five acres at the time, so it was kind of dog's paradise. And she literally put her nose through the door and went, no, it's over 75 degrees. It, oh, yeah. There's absolutely no way I'm going out there. And to this day, she puts her nose through the dog door and looks at me and goes, no, you got to be crazy. I'm not going out there. I mean, this morning I took her for a walk at 6.30. We got not even quarter of a mile and she lay down and said, I'm done. Yeah. She's got a lot of hair. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, in the, in the winter, she, I can get her up to running six, up from sort of six to 10 miles. That's as far as I'll take her. But in the summer, you can't even get her out for a walk. She, yeah. and it, and this is a dog that's bred in California. I mean, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a husky that wants to be in the cold. Right. <laughs> this is, so, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. So, um, so you like the research that was done, Christina? You think it provides really useful information? If, if yeah, it, I think it's, 
Yeah, I think it's good yeah. research. I mean, the thing, yeah. it came out of the Broad Institute, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the most respected, <laughs> highly regarded right. research institutes for yeah. genetics in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, you know, it's MIT and Harvard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these are the best, these are the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was published in Science, which mm-hmm. is, you know, one of the two top mm-hmm. journals in the world. And so, yeah. and it's hard because I have a PhD, but, you know, I have a PhD in biopsychology mm-hmm. and I have had graduate level genetics and statistics. I, I mean, I can't tell you if the genetic, yeah. <laughs> if their <laughs> methods were good or not. Yeah, yeah. But, but because of where it came from, I feel quite confident that it why was- do you think, Why do you think there was such a pushback? Do you think it was because- people had for so long felt a certain way and it sort of pushed back on their thoughts or do you think it was because that the, the, the sort of third-hand sites that were then revealing it publishing it didn't entree it very well I mean I mean I yeah I, I think I think some of it has to do with the fact that the media as always yeah didn't deal with it very well but I right. think because the message that they were putting out there was oversimplified and and could be misleading and cause problems I think people got really concerned about it but I don't know I mean I'm honestly not entirely sure why it got Mm -hmm. I mean there's Mm -hmm. definitely been I think there's been other papers that have come out that have been far more controversial than that one right Um, but about that same topic or about different topics? Oh, different topics. And yeah. you're probably going to ask me for an example. And I don't... Well, I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> I'll give you an example. The one that came out on Clickers. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I and we, had a great, we had a great chat with Dr. Carolina Westland about that because she, she did have some issues with it as well about this sort of sample size. And But a lot of people read that as Clickers aren't effective. And that's not what it necessarily said. And at the very end of it, it said the following questions need to be further explored because no paper can do everything, can it? But there was a lot of controversy. Yeah, and there's actually been quite a few studies done on clicker training. um, And they're pretty consistent. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's hard. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Something's going on, but they pretty consistently show no benefit of the Mm. clicker they're not harmful i mean there's no evidence that they're harmful yeah yeah but they're also i mean yes maybe one a a small number of Mm. the studies have found a benefit but now are we talking about specific are we talking about market training or we're talking specifically about the use and application of the clicker most of the studies look at both so most of the studies look at a clicker specifically as Mm. well as a verbal marker they don't all do that Right. Um, and either way, they don't find a yeah. benefit of the market. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's so much emotion attached to mm-hmm. that particular study about the clickers, because, you know, if you use a clicker, you use a clicker and you believe in it and you hate something to come out and say, that's not right. Yeah. And, and I, <clears throat> sorry, Judy, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go I ahead. just say, I think it's sort of similar with the genetics, because I think we've you know, trainers have been saying for years that they've been talking about how breed influences behavior. Mm-hmm. And so when something comes out and is interpreted as saying breed doesn't influence yeah. behavior, yeah. then I think people get very defensive. Um, and I mean, I can't speak, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't personally, honestly spoken to anyone that was angry about the paper. So I can only speculate. I don't yeah. want to, you know, no, I, 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 so but- I, I, my thoughts about it are, in terms of the pushback, I think a lot of dog trainers, and again, I mean, I'd like to hear what anyone thinks who's listening in. I think a lot of dog trainers struggle with helping families choose the appropriate breed for their lifestyle and are constantly sort of trying to advise and guide and, and coach. Um, and we and that's always been done around the description of this breed right. is going to demonstrate certain behaviors that you're not going to be able to manage or it's too much of a dog or whatever the you know the vernacular or the nomenclature is yeah. and suddenly there's an article that comes out that pretty much they interpret as saying it doesn't matter what breed you get 
Um, and they're probably thinking, yeah. oh my God, because the sort of comments I read was, oh, everyone's going to go out and get a Mali now. Everyone's going to be out there buying yeah. this sort of prehistoric, you know, dogs um, because the genetics is no longer in power. And that's not what the paper was saying. I mean, right. I say that again, I have to keep saying this. I it's have not what the paper is saying though. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just, and really what it comes down to, and I actually think we talked about this at the last chat and chuckle, I feel like, but it's complicated. I mean, that's, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, Any- you, scientists, you scientists only like to say that so that you can sort of keep us all wavering on our, <laughs> on our knowledge. Well, I'll give you a little bit now and a little bit more next time we chat or the next time I see you. Well, but no, it's just that there's, again, there, it comes back to there's so many things that influence behavior. Yeah. And so you can't consider just one thing and ever get the full story I mean you never will I mean look at siblings right like I I have a half brother who's 13 years older than me so it's hard for me to compare us because you know we we have so many differences but even Mm -hmm. if you look at twins Mm -hmm. like yes there are a lot of similarities but they're not the same person Oh, I look at my brother and I, he's 18 months older than I am and people meet us and they can't believe a brother and sister. We are so different. I mean, you couldn't meet people that are so more different in looks, personality. I mean, everything. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't, don't, there's anything we share in common other than both of us are are big runners. That's pretty much it. Right. You know, I think subconsciously I've thrown the breed thing out many, many years ago because on my intake yeah. form, which is about seven pages long, I want to know what medications they're on. I want to know what their activities are. I want to know what food they eat and where they sleep. And the last question I only ask probably for one reason, what, what breed is your dog? Same and the reason I ask it, well, and yeah. you know why I ask yeah. it, this is so stupid. If I'm going to see a Sheltie, or let's say if I'm going to go see a Chihuahua, I'm going to probably bring different treats than if I'm going to see yeah. a Golden Retriever. I mean, yeah. as stupid as that sounds, yeah. I, I think I've dismissed it after so many years of recognizing that I, not yeah. all Goldens are the same or not all Chihuahuas or Schnauzers, you know. It's just- I ask about breed because I want to get, I want to get a feeling for size. Yes, that's why yeah, I do that's it. Why so I purely it. for size yeah, and, and only size. because when I, when I go through that intake form, if there's any sort of red flag areas, you know, there's some red flag areas that if it was a chihuahua, I'm, I'm going to go to the house and not be so concerned. But if right. they said, well, I've got a right. 95 pound dog, then I'm going to be doing some management and coaching and right. preparation before mm-hmm. I arrive because the consequences of it going wrong are it's different, far yeah. more severe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but we talk a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. train the dog in front of you. You'll hear that phrase quite frequently. Well, I think that relates to the whole picture. Mm-hmm. not just the, the behavior that you're seeing right. you know we we it have does, one yeah. dog that'll do something where one right. another won't so yeah. yeah yeah and it really comes down to that gene by environment interaction and so yes genetics matter and they're always going to influence behavior but environment matters too and I think a lot of the time when we think about environment we think about the current environment but it's not just the current environment that matters it's the developmental environment yeah that plays a huge role. And so what happens when mom was pregnant Mm -hmm. and what happens, you know, when puppies were very young and what happened during adolescence and all of those things are going to influence the brain and the body in a very real way that are going to influence behavior now. Right. And so that's why it's so complicated (laughs) because (laughs) I mean, I, and, almost... and, and for that reason alone, even if you don't care about animal welfare, for that reason alone is why we shouldn't have puppy mills. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if you don't you care know... about any of the rest of it, the fact that we've got puppies coming out of these really stressful environments where it's fundamentally impacting their ability for resilience and survival and all the rest right. of it is the reason why they should all be categorically closed down. Yeah. And you yeah. know, when I go to a client, I can almost tell the client whose puppy came from a breeder that's doing a puppy culture type program. Mm -hmm. And it it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even then it's not everything, right? I mean, I have a dog from a reputable breeder and she, I mean, she, she did amazing things with him before he came home and he's a wreck. I mean, he's got a lot of amazing qualities, but like, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I remember the yeah. first PPG summit. I remember Karen Overall on, on the stage giving the opening session. And I remember halfway through it, she made some comment about the fact that, you know, 
she has worked with dogs that have been significantly abused, but they are now the most right. lovely, well-balanced, for want of a better expression, dog. And then you have dogs that are coming out, these amazing breeders, and they just, and literally their world falls apart. Yeah. And you, just, you yeah. know, so it really is a bit of a crapshoot, isn't it? I mean. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you just, we just don't know all of the factors that matter. And right. one little thing can make a difference for the rest of their lives. Right. I mean, he, one little thing. He got stuck in the birth control. My dog Finn, the birth control. The birth. We knew what you meant. The birth canal. Parenthood conversation. Talk about controversial. So, um, yeah, that would be controversial. Yeah. Yeah. He had a difficult birth, and right. he may have been like had been like anoxic for like had mm -hmm. limited oxygen for a little while yeah and he seemed normal and the vet couldn't find anything wrong and you know there's a little part of me in the back of my head was like uh-uh <laughs> like no <laughs> like pull the plug yeah. but I'm like no 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 it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and we'll never know yeah if that impacted his behavior yeah. or not yeah but I do wonder um he just has like through the roof arousal that is basically his problem he's like this wonderful amazing dog in so many ways but tiny little things happen and he just but dogs can also and I'm, this might sound really ignorant and I remember this was a question raised a few years ago and I remember I don't know if it was Dr. Lynn Honickman or somebody else and I apologize for not remembering who and um, somebody had asked if dogs can get ADHD I can and, talk about that. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'd love to you know what? I think that. I may have asked you this before, Christina, because I, and, and someone was like, oh, don't be ridiculous. And somebody else said, yes. Why would they not be able to? Why, why, why would? Yeah. Yeah. So there's been a lot of research on this recently. Actually, there's been, there's a particular lab that has started studying this. How do you research that? Well. Are, are there genetic markers that indicate a, yeah, a potential? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean, I could. We could spend the whole rest of the hour talking about this, Nick. Yeah. This is something I'm particularly yeah. interested in. So, um, so first of all, you have to understand what impulsivity is, and they look at hyperactivity too, but not as consistently as they've looked at impulsivity. So, impulsivity breaks down into two things. One of them is poor behavioral inhibition, which I think is fairly self-explanatory, but the other aspect of impulsivity is this aversion to delayed reward and so i, I have that problem yeah i mean everyone has it to some degree yeah but people and you know animals that have adhd or have impulsivity have it much more intensely right and so they will basically go for the sooner smaller reward yeah or, or the smaller sooner reward versus the later larger reward yeah. and um and so you can measure this they'll frequently measure this one of the ways they measure it is with questionnaires surveys mm -hmm. which is one of the things that was controversial about the genetic study but it is an accepted yeah. way of gathering data right um and they just ask owners like you know you know how good is your dog wait for at waiting for things or you know how high energy is your dog or how good are they at focusing mm -hmm. um but then some of the studies has have also done objective measures looking at this and so they'll do things called a no go uh, a go no go task mm -hmm. and so you teach the dog to respond to a particular cue with like a nose touch they'll frequently do a nose right. touch on a touch screen and then there's a second cue that signals don't respond. So withhold your response. Mm -hmm. And then the computer measures this, right? So does the dog um, hit the screen, you know, when they're right. supposed to? Do they not? How much of a delay is there? And then they can use that information to get at how impulsive is this dog? I mean, that's right. one way. There's right. other ways of studying it. Um, <clears throat> but we have... So my personal opinion is that, yes, dogs can have something that is ADHD-like. And I always say like because they are not people. So would and that be things like uh, accelerated excitability, impulse control, um, restlessness? So, um, yes. So yeah. um, I was recently talking to a neuropsychologist who they sort of do 
it's hard to explain what a neuropsychologist does, but um, they they do cognitive testing in people to assess for learning disabilities and um, mental health disorders and uh, developmental disorders and things like that. Right. And what she was telling me is that ADHD is really mislabeled. Mm-hmm. She said it's not it's not really about attention and impulsivity so much as it is about um, poor regulation. And so really what ADHD is, is it's a disorder of executive function. And so that has to do with how good are you at planning things? How good are you at decision-making? How good you are at regulating your emotions and withholding your impulses and maintaining your focus? Oops. So it's, it's all about regulation of sort of behavioral, emotional, and attentional systems. And um, so, yeah, so like one of the, one of the things that you see in people with ADHD and one of the things that we, we are now getting an increasing amount of research to support in dogs, but we still need more is that you, you know, you see this increased impulsivity and then that impulsivity is also can be associated with increased aggression. And so um, they, there's been one or two, I think two papers, I think that have shown an association between dogs that are more impulsive or score higher on these owner surveys and increased behavior issues or increased aggression. Right. Um, and there are, there have been, there's a particular gene, uh, I think it's, it's a dopamine related gene that has been identified as being associated with ADHD in people. And they have found that gene in Huskies and the other breed they looked at, maybe German Shepherds, I can't remember, but they looked at it in two breeds and they have found um, that particular variant and it has been associated with increased impulsivity and, and activity in those dogs. So I, I personally think we have pretty good data for it. I would not tell a client that their dog has ADHD. I do not think we have data where we can go in and, I mean, we can't diagnose this, isn't it? Right. I was just going to say, we can't diagnose anyway, but even if we could, I do not think that we have research at this point supporting assessing an individual animal. We have um, enough problems telling owners their dog yeah. doesn't want to steal the car keys and take the car right. and roll it out right. every right. evening, right. let alone yes. telling them they've got ADHD. Right. So I would not tell a client that their dog yeah. has ADHD, but I do think it's helpful to recognize that there is variation in this type of trait and that sometimes it, it goes beyond right. normal adolescence and sometimes it goes beyond your dog isn't getting enough exercise and enrichment. Right. Do you and think foods related to some of this behavior that we see? In what way? I think the, it has to be, doesn't well, it? I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not a, a food, I know enough about nutrition for humans. Oh, you mean some, diet? I mean, some of these, some of these chemicals yeah, are diet. preservatives. Absolutely. They've got to be yeah. negatively impacted. Now I'm not saying that's going to cause an <clears throat> ADHD, but it could cause, couldn't it cause, I'm asking because you're the pro there, Christina, um, couldn't it cause ADHD looking or or behavior that would look like ADHD, the hyperactivity, things like that? I don't know. Uh, That is not my area of expertise. I, I, I can address it a little bit more if we're talking about stress-related disorders, like like okay. depression and anxiety and things like that. I do think that yeah. diet is more likely to play a role in that. In terms of the impact of diet on cognition, I've seen papers out there that address this, but I have not read any of them. So um, that's just not an area of particular interest for me. So I don't pay that much yeah. attention to it, which is not to say it's not important. Right. <laughs> it's not yeah. My thing. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there could be a relationship. I just don't know. I think one of the hardest things in our industry, just to that point you just made about, it's not that it's not important, it's just not my thing. And that Deb Millican and I were talking about this the other night we were on in a meeting, is that, you know, 20 years ago, there was such a little amount of information out about dogs. I mean, when I first joined our industry in 2001, there was one course I took that came out of the UK. And then I did a pen, a pen foster course. And I went to James O'Hara Cassie. Now there's so much information out there and it's so stratified into speciality. And you'll understand where I'm going with this in just a minute. Um, that it's really difficult now to sort of focus on what you want to learn and learn well. It's too easy to sort of get pulled all over the place with all the different disciplines and different. Mm -hmm. And now we're throwing into it the neuroscience and epigenetics and the biology and the ethology. I mean, it used to be hard enough between reactivity and puppies and separation anxiety and aggression and and now and and it's just there just aren't enough hours in the day, are there? It's really difficult to not yeah. have to not have FOMO and think well I've got to do that and I've got to do that and I've got to do that and, yeah and I think I've yeah. had to make an intentional decision yeah to just almost kind of ignore certain things that's that's well um, that's exactly yeah. what we were saying there's, yeah. there's a couple of courses out there that I keep seeing and I think oh I love to do that and I think no stop time right. out you can't right. do everything you've got to yeah. choose right. And then do that well, because otherwise you literally get pulled from pillar to post. Yeah, and, and then you don't do any of them well. Or, or, you, or you become a jack yeah. of all trades, but not a master of yeah. any, you know? Yeah, and I think that's okay for some people. I mean, we have like general practice doctors, right? Yeah. And general practice vets. So I think that's well, I, fine. I, I, I'm going to interrupt you there, Christina, because I want to throw this at you. I, I understand what you're saying there, but a GP wouldn't diagnose anything anything mental they wouldn't get involved in anything to do with emotions or neuroscience or epigenetics or they would refer because that wouldn't have even been in their training they'd would it they they refer out so yeah. for me so if i look at dog training i mean I, I get that there's puppy trainers and then there's pet manners trainers and the sports dog trainers but I'm not convinced it would take a lot of convincing to convince me that you could be an aggression expert, a separation anxiety expert, and then, and no, then I agree with that. Or, yes. and I don't think you should be working in those two unless you really know what you're doing because, right. because I agree with when that. I look at it yes. from our industry, if you don't, if you, if you're working with a client on something that you don't really understand, you're not a master of, if it's aggression, separation, anxiety, you know, pho fears, phobias, and you fail, the client blames the system, the process, and the philosophy, not mm -hmm. the individual trainer. And then they will go to a shop collar trainer or somebody that promises them quick results. So that's the problem I have. And that's why I yeah. have to be careful. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. more of, and I don't know that we really have this kind of model right now, but I'm thinking more of, and I'm, I'm thinking one thing and then this other part of my brain is sort yeah, of yeah. challenging it as yeah. I'm saying it. That, that's, but, what, that's what was happening with um, me. I was like, is this, what am I saying here? But, you know, I think the specialty of general practice vets and physicians is that people and animals come in and you're really good at assessing um, the common maladies and then knowing when to refer. Although, honestly, I think with vets, at least in our area, this is an interesting issue because I think vets used to have to know everything essentially, right? And yeah. now again, it's the same kind of thing. We're getting more and more information. We're getting more and more specialists, but I think some vets are hesitant to refer to specialists because they, they still want to do everything there. And I think that can be a problem, yeah. but maybe if we imagine a slightly different world than I think we might have now is if you got, if, if we had a world where much, many, many more people were bringing their dogs to trainers. Like if this is just a thing that you did, right? You get a dog, you go to the vet, you get a dog, you go to a trainer. Yeah, yeah. right. Then I think you could have like general practice trainers, right? That are sort of right. dealing mm -hmm. with those common issues. Right. Which, um, and maybe I'm just talking about the distinction between a trainer and a behavior consultant, but, right. and then they are referring out, but they're kind of dealing yeah. with all of those yeah. most common things and then acting as a point of contact and coordination for other things the dog might need yeah and i think mm -hmm. we sort of informally have that set up right now but a lot of people are doing it all and yeah. um yeah i don't know it's 
I mean, let's ask Judy. Because I mean, Judy. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I'll just use me as a benchmark, and then I'll ask Judy. I mean, I've been in this mm-hmm. industry full time since two thousand and eight, part time since two thousand and three or four. Um, and I learned many years ago that I won't deal with any aggression that's over a level one, level two bite because I don't have the experience, I don't have the focus. So therefore I will refer them out. And if I wanted to do that, if I was passionate about it, I would go and invest significant time and energy in learning everything there was to learn. What about, I mean, and the same thing with separation anxiety. I, I feel the same. The problem is finding those specialists. Yeah that you can refer to. And thankfully now with people doing virtual, it makes it so much easier. But I don't think the majority of trainers are there yet where they feel like they can give that client away. Mm -hmm. Where me, I look at it like, hey, you've got a dog with separation anxiety. I'm not as pro at that. To me, that's one of the worst cases you can have a separation anxiety because there's such an emotional trauma to that dog. I can do some things, but I'd really rather refer to someone who does it all the time and is really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. But I really don't see in my area trainers referring to other trainers. Mm -hmm. I just don't see it. I I think they're afraid of losing that business and Mm -hmm. don't be greedy. Don't take it all, you know, learn from the other trainer. Well, I think it depends on your area too, right? Because you mm-hmm. might be the Definitely. only person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so you may not right. have an option to refer to. I know, it's, to t- it's hard, isn't it? Because then yeah. what do you do? do you, you, I mean, Tough. yeah. I mean, it's the same argument with the behavior, with the veterinary board, with the board certified behaviorists. And, and you know, I'll just throw some facts in here and please don't misinterpret this as any sort of judgment, but they charge considerably more an hour because they're board certified. There are very few of them Often you have to wait several weeks to see one or if you can even access one. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, many of them complain about some of the cases that dog trainers are taking on board. But there are situations where we don't have a choice. It's either us or there's no hope. Exactly. I see that in my area a lot. We now have a new vet. I have not met with her yet, but she's a couple hours away and and she's studying to become a behaviorist it's really hard to get into any of the behaviorists. And in the meantime, if you don't go and try to help them the best you can, that dog is suffering, the family's suffering, they may be relinquishing the dog. So you have to do what you can, but you also have to know when you can't take it any further. Right. Yeah, yeah. and I do think that a veterinary, a, a lot of veterinary behaviors now are starting to work very closely with trainers or even having trainers mm-hmm. on staff. Well, and, I mean, Lynn yeah. Honickman's, Dr. Lynn Honickman's a good example of that in Orlando. I mean, Lynn has a network of like 10 trainers and she'll sort of take clients in, do diagnoses, prognosis, medications, then refer them out for the actual skill application implementation and that's brilliant because it means that she can do a lot more at that top end bit which is what she's studying to do um lisa dr lisa Rodosta has several on staff in her clinic doesn't she um yeah Yeah. and now with the veterinary technicians that are specialized in behavior it does make it easier but they're still are just not enough they're for the no they're just nowhere (laughs) near yeah 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 and it's Um, a lot of work to get there yeah. yeah and 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 to be i mean and let's be brutally honest i mean i took my little dog, um, Gizmo, to see Dr. Um, JD in Tampa. And she gave me a discount because I'm uh, gratefully, and it, but it still cost me several hundred dollars an hour, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I was more than happy to pay that. But if you've got multiple dogs or you've got a dog that, and I only went twice, once. Yeah. Um, that is a lot of money for people. Yeah. People yeah. in many situations simply cannot afford it. Well, I will say um, that the insurance companies are starting to cover behavior work, but most of them only cover behavior work with a a vet or a cab. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Which I understand, I mean, I understand where they're coming at from that, but that's, there's not enough of us to go around. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult. Yay. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about some happier stuff. All right. um, Yeah, I get very sad when I think about those situations because I just think about all the dogs that don't, they're not able to, I mean, it's the same with humans, isn't it? That can't access affordable healthcare. You know, how how can a mental illness or a physical illness, how can that be something that can literally put you into bankruptcy? I mean, there's, there's something wrong with that picture. 
anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, um, Christina, just give me a little overcap about overview of the research bites that you're doing this month, because you mentioned it yes. earlier. What do you- Yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a paper that came out mm-hmm. looking at trying to reset the stress system as a way of uh, reversing sort of depression-like sy- mm-hmm. symptoms. And so that would be like decreased interest and in mm-hmm. sort of decreased pleasure and mm-hmm. um, decreased activity and, and things like that. And what the thing that's been on my mind today, because this is what I was working on today, is this just really profound connection between stress and basically everything else. And I'm, I'll try, <laughs> do my, I'll, I'm gonna do my best to explain it. And if I stop making sense, let me know. Okay. It's, it's fairly complex, but I think it's really, really important. Okay. So, um, so what happens with stress hormones mm-hmm. is we think of stress hormones as being involved in the stress response, which of course they are. Mm-hmm but they do much, much more than just running the stress response. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we understand now that those stress hormones like cortisol, for example, it, uh, I'm just reading a quote here from this paper by Daskalakis. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that cortisol has distinct and conditional actions in every cell and tissue type in the body. Mm-hmm. So everything that, you know, whenever we feel stress, mm-hmm. that is literally impacting every aspect of our body. Mm-hmm. And they believe that the role, one of the roles of stress hormones is to coordinate and integrate the whole organism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you can imagine if you have an animal that's suffering from chronic stress, what happens is that that stress response system and that cortisol system essentially breaks and stops functioning properly. So it doesn't regulate. Right, it becomes totally dysregulated. And as a result, all of the other systems in the body become dysregulated. Hmm. And so, and also stress uh, is very closely linked to inflammation within Mm -hmm. the body. And so there's this idea, it's called allostasis. So it's like homeostasis, but sort of like- What does the allo stand for? Oh boy. <laughs> homeo is like return back to normal, isn't it? Ho- yeah, well, homeo is sort of main, maintaining a set yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I don't know what allo stands for. Oh, I finally for. asked a question you can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> High five, Judy! Um, yay! <laughs> Sorry, I didn't think uh, there was any. I, I'm sure you'll come back to us on so that. We'll have to, I know, so we'll have to yeah. look that up. But, yeah. but what allostasis prefer, refers to is instead of, so with homeostasis, we're always coming back to the same static yeah. set point. Right. Allostasis, on the other hand, is sort of an upgraded concept that views sort of the ideal as the body being able to adapt to its environment and change the set point based on the environment. And now many researchers, particularly stress researchers, believe that, excuse me, that health is basically- I got a definition here, do you want it? Of aloe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got one too. It's defined as the process of maintaining homeostasis through the adaptive change of the organism's internal environment to meet perceived and anticipated demands. Yes. Yeah, I just don't know what the definition of aloe is. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, it's gotta be Greek or Roman, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what happens is the animal perceives a stressor and then it triggers all of these processes in the body that release sort of physiological or behavioral adaptations to sort of restore balance. But it might, that balance may not, it might shift slightly, right? Right, right. And 
although this is a healthy and adaptive thing, it uses a lot of energy. And so if you're, so stress essentially is change, right? Yeah, yeah. So if your environment is constantly changing and you're constantly having to adapt to that environment, mm -hmm. then you can, the body can become overwhelmed and that's yeah. called allostatic overload. Mm -hmm. And that's when everything starts to break down. And they have found research, I don't know that anyone's doing this clinically yet, but in the research environment, scientists have been able to go in and measure things like adrenaline and yeah. stress hormones yeah. and cholesterol mm -hmm. and combine all of those things together and actually predict like mortality. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, because, wow. it, because they yeah. know that it were, I mean, I mean, the, the chemical impact of stress on the organs and the body is, is so damaging. Right. And so now, you know, disorders, human mental health disorders like depression and anxiety and PTSD are really viewed as stress-related disorders. Right. And this is why I'm so interested in it, right? Because this is the perspective that I take when I'm working with animals is that I, I kind, kind of jokingly say it's all about stress, like stress is everything. And it's not, right? Because mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time talking about genetics, yeah, yeah. but it's huge. Right. And so I kind of come at, and I was trained, you know, I did my PhD in a human psychology department. So even though I'm not clinically trained and I'm not clinically qualified to work with people, I had a lot of sort of book training mm -hmm. in mental health disorders and people. And so um, I kind of come at this as for me, I have sort of reframed behavior issues and dogs as, mm -hmm. I mean, mental health issues, right? Like yeah, it's the yeah. same mm -hmm. thing. And this is just my perspective. There's right. many different perspectives, but I view it from this more holistic sense instead of just focusing on the behaviors that we want to change mm -hmm. is looking at the whole animal and how, you know, what's going on in their body, what's going on with their stress systems, what's going on with their brain, mm -hmm. you know, how are they interacting with their environment and the people around them and sort of more right. of like a systems-based approach that I think brings in maybe some different angles for thinking about these things and hopefully helping to deal maybe with some I, of these cases that we struggle yeah. with so much that don't show yeah. a lot of progress yeah when are you doing that what's the date oh uh june 14th june 14th and that's that's the research bites on june 14th okay. yes hopefully back can post a link for everybody okay you know i don't know that it's as common for a trainer to look at a situation and understand the stress. Because, I, yeah. you know, look on Facebook, somebody in one of these trainers groups, they'll say, oh my gosh, I have a dog that I'm working with and he's digging in the yard. Does anybody yeah. ask why is he digging in the yard? No, they just throw ideas out. I, I wanna know why. And I think we should be looking more at why yeah. before we try to fix how to change it, change the behavior. Because if you yeah. know the why, oftentimes you don't have to teach a, a you know, non-complementary behavior. You yeah. can just change what's going on internally or what's going on oh, that's causing Yeah, well, a good and example of that was a dog, um, Angelica Steinke did this as a case study in um, one of the PPG groups many years ago, where uh, you know, a dog was jumping at a kitchen counter and everybody was going in operantly, you know, teach it to not jump, teach it to stay behind a line. And nobody actually said, which was the case, because this had been worked through, the dog was really stressed when activity started in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. so, it could be noise. It could be a lot of things. Yeah, you know, this was not a simple of case of just teaching it an alternative no. behavior. This right. was understanding why That's... was the dog having such an emotionally hard time mm -hmm. as right. soon as the owners went into the kitchen. Yes. Um, and ultimately, people, you know... <laughs> It started off with, well, you know, teach them impulse control to teach, you know, differentially reinforce and alternate behavior. Then, and then it was like, well, okay, now we're going to start looking at some punishment, use negative punishment. And this poor dog, it just, it, yes. emotionally, it wasn't, it wasn't yep. able to cope with this environment. And that's right. where the focus should have been placed. And, and stress then as the stress of teaching yeah. him, trying to yes. teach him something in that environment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And stress has all kinds of yeah. impacts on learning and emotion and, and all that kind of stuff. And, 
what I talk about in the introduction, I tell the story in the introduction to my book, which is almost out. <laughs> I think it just went to the printer and then they have to do like layout or something. And so it's very, very right. I didn't know you were writing a book. Have I been, yes, have I been living not... on a different planet for the last two years? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's called um, The Stress Factor. Okay. And it's going to be published by Dogwise. And it is like in the literally the final stage good, good <laughs> yes good we'll have um, to get you back on just to talk about that yeah i'd love to do yeah. that yeah um but the the thing that got me down that road of i have to write a book on this mm-hmm. is i met with a client he had a dog the dog was middle-aged maybe and had very serious aggression issues and when i took the history on this dog This was a dog, I'm gonna get emotional now. This was a dog that had had a puppy, had been passed around from shelter to rescue group. And he ended up with this dog, had serious issues from the beginning, continued to try to get help for the dog. You know, one person was like, bring it to our daycare and force it to interact with the other puppies. And then, you know, it'll learn not to be afraid. (laughs) He will learn not to be afraid. And of course that didn't work. And it was just this litany of things that had happened and this guy going to person after person after person for help and no one, and I'm just thinking as he's going through all these things like stress, stress, like all of these stressors that this puppy had been through that I think just sealed his fate. And ultimately that dog had to be put to sleep. I mean, he was just too dangerous and aggressive. And the man was heartbroken and this was not the story of someone that didn't try or didn't do anything and I mean sorry I'm getting very emotional about this but I mean some of this right has to do with like trainers need to be credentialed. like that's a different story but it it just made me realize that all of these different people he went to from help for help didn't seem to have any idea why this dog was acting this way or what to do about it. And I had done some of my um, graduate work had been on stress. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of a turning point for me. It's like, I am tired (laughs) of getting dogs when they're basically past the point of help Mm -hmm. and they either have to be managed and basically suffer the rest of their lives or they have to be euthanized. And of course that's not the case for all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. But it just I just sort of hit a wall. I'm like, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep letting them break and putting them through all of these experiences yeah. that are breaking them. And I'm not just talking about punishment mm-hmm. because there's a lot of other stressful experiences yeah. like moms being stressed during pregnancy and, and moving around yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. from shelter to shelter, which yeah. I'm not criticizing shelters here right because they have a lot to deal with but I think if we can't even recognize the impact that that's going to have on behavior absolutely how can we possibly mm-hmm. help these dogs so is that what the book speaks to Christina Does yes it speak to? yeah it's about Good. it's about the impact of stress the things that are stressful and then what right. we can do to improve resiliency in our dogs well and and you know the, the start point for that is like being able to identify it and not not, I, I mean, is it even like with active appeasement rather than passive appeasement, people think, oh, the dog's really happy when it's actually, it's not, it's just actively mm-hmm. appeasing you. Just because yeah. it's in your face and jumping at you doesn't mean it wants to necessarily greet you. It's right. It's still, it's actually still a, a behavior that is designed to remove conflict. Right. I mean, how, how often do we see that? So just fundamentally, yeah. it's not understanding when a dog doesn't mm-hmm. need support and um, some empathy um, yeah. and, always we're always we always try and look at everything through an operant lens don't we you know how can yes. we yeah and yeah. and they're, they're much more complicated than that yes. <laughs> they're, they're yeah. animals they're not right. you know robots right yeah yeah interesting so when is it when is it when is it what's the published publication date when uh, we don't have yeah. a publication date yet okay. but we should have one very very soon okay. it was gonna be may and then we my family got covid and so i kind of held the book for a little oh while. come on that's not an excuse <laughs> Stop making um, excuses. But very, very <laughs> COVID gets blamed for everything. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's why it's buggered off. It's sick of being blamed for everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, very, very soon. 
Okay. I, I don't have a publication date, but I'm thinking like. But you will let us know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can shoot you over an email. Okay. And, and if you know. if you find somebody that wants to read it and do a review for it, I'm sure Susan Nelson would be delighted to put it into Box. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. See if you can maybe gift Judy Luther a free copy and ask her if she'll sure. do a review. I'll pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd be happy to, to send it over and have you guys cool. do a review i'm i'm so ready to be done with it yeah, it's just it's oh like so have, i was looking at it and it's a hundred i think it's 140 pages it's not super long um but then, then there's 40 additional pages of references Oh, so it's like, like Connor Brady's book, you know, every chapter has six pages of references yeah. following the chapter. Yeah, so it was a good. lot, yeah. a lot of work. I'm working oh. on a book right now called Run With Your Bestie. I'm oh taking, yeah, I've seen, yeah. Yeah, I'm taking my dog training skills and my running coach skills and trying yep. to merge them together so that we get people running with their dogs, but not, you know, and I'm talking about running with the dog in a very enriching and relaxed and fun yes. manner, not a case of dragging your dog behind right. you. Because right. when I see people right. out with their dogs, they're either dragging them behind them or they're getting dragged down the road. And it's just, this, I just don't and they're all enjoy that. Panting with their tongue hanging yeah. on the ground because the person has their water, but nothing for the dog. <laughs> well, well yeah, and I'll share this with you. And Christina can probably, Christina can probably add to this, but one of the things that I learned a long time ago is one of the reasons why humans survived on the planet more so and became sort of the key predator is because we, unlike most other animals, have the ability to actually compete in endurance activities. Whereas dogs yeah. and other animals, they were designed to sprint to either hunt or to avoid. They're not conditioned right. to go out and do a 10 mile run. Um, and they're not because they can't breathe and perspire at the same time. And unlike mm -hmm. us, we can breathe and perspire. So we have a cooling system. Right. Um, and a lot of people sort of recognize that dogs, you know, perspire through their mouths and feet, but don't understand the impact that has on taking a dog out for a run that they, yeah. they're unable to cool themselves. Um, and it's why we could track across the savannah for four days a gazelle and finally kill it because we wouldn't be exhausted but the the, the animal would be mm -hmm. so there's a lot of misunderstanding out there and I you know obviously years gone by I made mistakes with some of the first dogs I got and ran with and I was very careful with Doogie um, and I also chose a dog that has to have an air conditioning unit slapped to her back whenever she goes in the yeah. <laughs> I got an Aussie as a running partner and she sort of looks at me and goes nah no 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 yeah Nah, not, not, not really into that. Um, yeah. I'm, um, my Aussie is so heat sensitive. It's so funny. Cause yeah. I, you know, I said we have a beagle mix and an Australian shepherd and in the winter, I mean, it can be below zero and Finn will just like hang outside for 20 minutes and we keep yeah. going and checking yeah. out. I'm like, are you all right? You know? And then once it hits like 70, he's done. Yeah. And then the yeah. beagle literally will sleep in the sun when the heat index is 100 and again we keep yeah. checking out like are you, you know and he yeah. won't even be panting yeah. well, my, my little jack russell terrier chihuahua mix would literally go outside in the middle of the summer in florida and find the spot in the yard where the sun was the most intense yeah. and just lie down lay there yeah my aussie will come out through one she has a dog door on one side of the pool she'll come out through that find me and then go back in the other side she like, she like does this loop around the house because she wants to be out, but she gets out. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So my Aussie Rusty that I used to have that I lost to cancer. The reason I picked him is because a farmer was looking at him for a working dog at the breeder. He was laying on the air conditioner vent and I looked at oh. my husband and I said, this dog can't be a working dog. He needs the air conditioner. Yeah. And this was a puppy yeah. and that was his favorite place. Well, I was, I was told, I was given the puppy that was the, the pistol. <laughs> this is a pistol that never comes out of the harness, the halter, whatever you call them. Yeah, I, I think I may have been given the more subdued one uh, and yeah. that didn't work out so much. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because you love him anyway, don't you? But Yeah, you I mean, and stuff. he's, yeah. yeah, I mean, tons of great qualities. Yeah, but, um, yeah. So. yeah. 
Anyway, good luck with the book. I'm really pleased to hear that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's great yeah. news. I'm yeah. excited. I can't wait for it to come out. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's always a nice accomplishment. A, because you get it done, and B, because yes. it's nice to ha- nice to get it done, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I feel that like I've finished it about nine times now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I learned that with the first book I wrote that you, when you actually submit it for editing, that, that you basically what you've just done is a first draft. Yeah. And then yeah. 90% of it is re-editing and editing and re-editing. And then you start thinking about your paragraph your chapter structure and you've got to be really mm. disciplined otherwise you literally would just tear it up and start all over again and it can it's be hard destroying as well can't it, it can be yeah it's hard at this stage because it's like uh it's like pdf now and i can't yeah. like you know they're like you can't make yeah. any changes that change yeah. the indexing i'm like yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like the last bit of the editing for anyone that's not written a book where you finally get that PDF and if you and as you check it if you have any feedback you have to say page forty seven paragraph three line five word yeah. four letter seven mm-hmm. how 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 much fun is that when you're going through an entire book uh, it's not yeah that's yeah. that's a lot more difficult than accept you know track changes accept than yeah. Yeah. And you just keep finding errors. I'm yeah. like, how many people have read yeah. this book? How mm-hmm. many times? And yeah. we're still finding errors. How is this possible? Yeah. Well, it's like somebody posted on Facebook, and I've seen this do the rounds a few times, that um, sure enough, as soon as you publish something, suddenly everyone becomes a copy editor and starts finding all the yes. problems. And you think, my yeah. God, how many people <laughs> have officially copy edited yes. this book? Well, Patricia McConnell gave a talk that I attended once on, on writing. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I'm so glad I attended that talk because she said, look, be prepared to be, I don't know if she said be unhappy with your book, but she said there will be mistakes and there are yeah. going to be at least certain sections that you yeah. were going to wish weren't in there. And then she said that in one of her first books, she spelled her own name wrong. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, I'm I so that, glad yeah. that yeah. you told me that because, or not me, yeah. you know, she's talking to yeah. a group of people, but <laughs> Cause I just, it's like, yeah. it really has taken off so much pressure mm-hmm. <laughs> of working on this book. Cause I'm like, okay, if Patricia McConnell can spell her own yeah. name wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. if I have a few misspellings in yeah. my book, I, I won't like die of embarrassment. See, that, that's what I like yeah. about self-publishing. Cause I publish through Ingram Sparks and I have like five books on there. And if I, if I sort of get irked by something, I can just go up there, yeah. re-upload the PDF. And within that's 24 nice. hours, anything Whoa. that's being ordered is new. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's great. So it's really easy to do sort of second versions and, and stuff and just assign right. an ISBN number to it. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. But it is. It's a lot of work, isn't it? I don't yes. think you don't realize how much work it is until you start doing it. And you sort yeah. of, like, oh. yeah, but I read a book recently written by one of our colleagues and I, I sort of laughed. I laughed, you know, pleasantly because they, in the, in the, in the, you know, I want to thank everybody. One of the people that she was thanking, she'd spelt the name incorrectly. And this is someone that helped with the editing. And that's <laughs> And I emailed the person. I went, oh, you might, you might want to go check. And she just yeah. came back with a big smiley face. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you for your, you know, impeccable yeah. editing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, too much fun well we're over time so let's just yes. summarize really quickly um website address and business because you've changed it recently just to make sure I that have. everybody knows yes has changed yes so the new business name is science matters academy of animal behavior right. and the website is science matters llc.com cool beans all right research bites coming up in june you've got a course in july a two-day virtual workshop let's give everyone the name for that uh the course is the emotional animal and the workshop is the power of choice with erit bloom right perfect okay lovely jubbly well everybody ladies have a wonderful thank you so much have a good weekend thank you you. bye bye bye